you don't need to worry about sin. You don't need to worry about sin because sin isn't a big deal. At least that's the way the world thinks. The world would have us to believe that we don't need to worry about sin. You know, sin is just a minor thing. Sin is just a normal part of life. It's no big deal. We don't need to worry about it. I have an article in my office titled, What Sleeping with Married Men Taught Me About Infidelity. This article was written by a woman, and the article goes on to to describe her sexual immorality. And in the article, she says plainly she wanted sex, but she didn't want relationship. So she pursued married men because that was the easy way to get sort of what she wanted. You know, married guys have a family. She didn't have to worry about the relationship. And this article is a part of a series called Modern Love. And the impression that I got from this author is that modern love includes sexual immorality. Essentially, she views sexual morality as as not a big deal. She kind of writes about it in a matter-of-fact kind of way. It's not something that we really need to worry about because it's, it's not a big deal at all. But do you know what this is? It's a normalization of sin. That's why she calls it modern love. It's just normal in modern times for adultery and sexual morality to go on. So we see this normalization of sin. And we don't have to look only at articles like this. We see the normalization of sin just in our lives. I mean, just look at our entertainment. It's becoming harder and harder these days to find something to watch. And I started watching this series started watching this series on Amazon Prime, and I got about 30 minutes into it, and I couldn't watch it anymore just because, I mean, it just contains so much garbage. Sin is all around us, and the world wants us to, to, to believe that it's normal, and they do that through our entertainment. I mean, if you look at entertainment 50, 60, or 70 years ago, they tried it to be wholesome. Uh, they, they almost went to the whole other extreme of trying to, to, to be wholesome. I think of the Brady Bunch. In the Brady Bunch, you had a married couple, and You know, they slept in two different beds. And it's not because, you know, the wife was trying to avoid the husband snoring. Um, I guess that might happen sometime today. But really, they slept in the same room, but in two different beds because they were trying to be wholesome. That is not the way entertainment is today. Today, entertainment, their goal is to normalize sin. Uh, To them, sin is not a big deal. And look, it's not only the atheists who think this way. Christians, or people who claim to be Christians, even us in this building, we can fall into this trap of thinking that sin is no big deal. You know, the wider religious world will say, you know, God just wants us to be happy. God wants us to be happy. He wants us to live the way that we want to live, and God's grace is going to cover all of that. You don't need to worry about sin because it's just not a big deal. You see, many people don't take sin seriously. This is why over the next couple of months, we're going to be talking a little bit about sin and the effects of sin. As a family, we've been in Genesis. You know, you guys know this. We've been in Genesis 
since the beginning of the year, and we've talked a lot about Genesis. We've talked about sort of the origins. That's where we started. We talked about the beginning. And then we moved on to the characters that are introduced in Genesis, the main characters of this story that we call alive. We were introduced to God. He's introduced in Genesis. We're introduced to man. Man is introduced in Genesis. And we were introduced to the adversary, uh, the adversary being Satan. So we looked at all of those things. And this quarter, we're moving on to a new topic. In this quarter, we're looking at the problem in Genesis. And we all know what the problem is. You know, if the introduction hadn't helped. The problem is sin. But many people don't see it as a problem. Many people see it as something that could just be shrugged off as not a big deal. And perhaps it's because some people just don't realize the horrible effects of sin. Perhaps it's because some people just don't realize the consequences of sin. Fact of the matter is we can get stuck in sin's snare and it's like we're trapped in a downward spiral. There are horrible consequences to sin. And look, we see that in Genesis. As a matter of fact, if you start reading the Bible, you start from Genesis chapter 1, it doesn't take very long to see the consequences of sin, to see the effects of sin. If you start in Genesis chapter 1, you only need to read three or so chapters before we finally start seeing the consequences of sin. So this is what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about sin and the effects of sin. So what, what, what are some of the effects of sin that we see in Genesis that we see from Adam and Eve and their family? Well, one of the effects of sin is that sin is progressive. You know, so one of the ways that we, we justify our sins, one of the ways that we deceive ourselves is by saying that our sin isn't going to have an effect on anyone else. Our sin isn't going to have an impact on anyone else's lives. It's not going to affect uh, our, our family. It's not going to affect our wives or our children. It's not going to affect anyone else in the church. It's not going to affect our friends. And really, whenever we say this, we're just deceiving ourselves. Because if we go back to the beginning, if we look at the story of Adam and Eve, we see that sin is progressive. Go ahead and open up your Bible, Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, in the previous chapter, in Genesis 2, God told Adam and Eve, or God told Adam, you know, there's a tree that I don't want you to eat from, this tree of knowledge and good, of good and evil, and if you eat from it, you will surely die. That's what God said. But in Genesis chapter 3, we see man's first sin. Let's read verse 6, Genesis chapter 3 and verse 6. It says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. Now, we could stop there, but the verse doesn't stop there, does it? And the story doesn't stop there, does it? It continues. It says, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. You know, this is the first and last recorded time that a woman knew whenever she wanted to eat. But here what we see Forgive me for saying that. Here what we see is that Eve's sin, well, didn't just stay with her. It didn't only affect her. It affected other people. It affected her family. It affected her husband. She gave to, to Adam and he ate. 
And if we read closely, we see that it also affected her children, didn't it? What happened with Cain and Abel? Because of their sin, because sin entered the world, Cain killed his brother. So we see here that Adam's and Eve's sin, it affected, it had a, a deep effect on their family. But it didn't only affect their family. Their sin affected the rest of humanity, didn't it? Romans 5 and verse 12 tells us that by one man, sin entered the world and death through sin. So from that one sin, all of mankind was affected. You see, sin is progressive. And that's what Adam and Eve's story teaches us. But we, you know, we don't only have to rely on Adam and Eve's family. We can look at Abraham's family. We look through Abraham's family, turn over to Genesis chapter 12, when we look at Abraham's family, we also see that sin is progressive. Genesis chapter 12, Abraham is going to start a chain that just continues throughout his family. In verse 10 is where we're going to start reading from. Genesis chapter 12, starting in verse 10, this is when there was a famine in the land and, and Abraham and Sarah go to Egypt. It says, Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarah, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. Well, we see from these verses the deception of Abraham. You know, Sarah was, was technically speaking, she was his sister. But it, this was still a deceptive act because Sarah was indeed Abraham's wife. And some people may look at that sin. As a matter of fact, if we transport some people from today and we, we transport them to Abraham's time and they were watching this from a distance, they would say, well, what's the big deal with this? It was just a little white lie. It's only half the tr- it's only like a half truth. What was the big deal with Abraham lying? Well, we see the big deal if we continue reading in the story. The fact of the matter is, Abraham's sin just progressed. It progressed through his family. This sin was like mold. It just spread. Let's go over to Genesis chapter 26. Genesis chapter 26. We, we're going to see Isaac and Gerar here. Genesis chapter 26, we're going to start reading from verse 7, or excuse me, verse 6. Genesis chapter 26, starting at verse 6, it says, So Isaac settled in Gerar. When the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, She is my sister. For he feared to say, My wife, thinking, lest the men of this place should kill me because of Rebekah, because she was attractive in appearance. Well, in, this, in these verses... We see that Isaac sinned in the exact same way that Abraham sinned. And my question would be, where did Isaac learn this from? Well, he learned it from Abraham, didn't he? It's kind of like that saying, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. That's what we see here. Isaac didn't just make this up in his mind. He learned it from Abraham. And if we look closely, we see that he took Abraham's sin a step further. Because while Abraham's deception was sort of a half-truth, well, Isaac was completely lying here, wasn't he? So Isaac took Abraham's sin a step further. 
we move to the next generation in Genesis chapter 27. In Genesis chapter 27, we see Jacob. Uh, we're going to start reading from verse 18. It says, so he went into his father and said, that's Jacob. He went to his father and said, my father. And he said, here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. Well, here we again see this theme of deception that has been running through Genesis. And if we read closely, we see that Jacob took Isaac's sin one step further. You know, both Isaac and Abraham, they, they lied to some foreigner. But Jacob, well, Jacob is lying to his own father, right to his father's face. And he's lying in a similar way, saying that he is someone else. So we see this sin just progressing through this family. But let's look at one more generation. Go to Genesis chapter 37. Genesis chapter 37, this is the context where Joseph is sold into slavery. Genesis chapter 37, and we're going to start reading from verse 29. Genesis 37 and verse 29, it says, When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, The boy is gone, and I, where shall I go? Then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, This we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, It is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without a doubt torn to pieces. Again, we see this theme of deception just traveling through Abraham's family, Abraham's genealogy, and we see, again, the sons of Jacob take Jacob's sin one step further. If you look closely, Jacob's, sin, or Jacob's sons, they didn't even have to speak the lie, did they? They just sort of held up the cloak and let the lie work for itself. They presented this false narrative, this false reality. They, did, they didn't have to say a, a word that was untrue. They said, here is the, the robe of your son? Is this your son's robe? And they just let the lie work for itself. You see, if we look at Abraham's family and we look closely, we see sin progressed and that the next generation took the sins of the previous generation one step further. We learn from Adam and Eve's family and from, from Abraham's family that sin is progressive. And you know what was true thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago? But what was true back then is true today also. The fact of the matter is we have an influence on other people. People look at us. People look up to us. If I do something in someone else's mind, if I do something sinful in someone else's mind, I may be getting my stamp of approval. Well, since Reuben did it, it must be okay. We have an influence on other people. You know, as parents, you guys have an influence on your children. Your children look up to you. Now, I was a criminal justice major. One of the studies that we looked at was on domestic violence, and it showed that kids who grew up in a home with domestic violence, those kids were more likely to commit domestic violence themselves. Why is that? Because sin is progressive, because our kids look up to us. And if we learn anything from Abraham's story, it's that our kids will take our sin one step further. How many people have kids? Look at your kids and imagine what their lives would be like if they took your sin, my sin, one step further. Is that a scary thought? 
That's a scary thought. But you know, we don't have to be parents to have an influence on people. The fact of the matter is we all have an influence on one another. This is why 1 Corinthians says, 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 33, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good morals. Why is that? Well, evil company corrupts good morals because we have an influence on one another. This is something that we've got to keep in our minds. Some people may have looked at Abraham's sin and said, wow, what's the big deal? But look at what it did to his family. Sin is serious. Sin is progressive. But that's not all. That's not all we learn from Genesis. We also learn that sin ruins relationships. You know, as I said earlier, our sin doesn't stick with us. It affects other people. And can you just imagine Adam and Eve's relationship after the whole incident in the garden? Like, can you imagine that drive home? Eve, Eve looks at Adam and she's like, oh, so you're just going to throw me under the bus. And then Adam turns to Eve and says, well, you gave me the fruit. You know, we're not told how their relationship was really altered in, in details like that, but I can only imagine that that sin had an impact on their relationship. A more concrete example is the example of Cain and Abel. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 3, or actually Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4, in this context, we see the story of Cain and Abel. We're going to start reading from verse 1. Genesis chapter 4 and verse 1. It says, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. And we can see from this example that after that sin, Cain and Abel's relationship was changed. That's pretty obvious. Cain killed his brother. He ruined that relationship with his family. Why? Well, because sin ruins relationships. And that not only altered the relationship that he had with his brother, but it also altered the relationship that he had with his parents. I can't imagine that, uh, that sin having no effect on his parents. As a matter of fact, as a part of Cain's punishment, we can look down in verse 12. Verse 12 of chapter 4, uh, this is part of Cain's punishment. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. So here God tells Cain, you're going to be a fugitive and a wanderer. Cain is driven from home. So his relationship with his parents is forever changed because now he's not with his parents. Instead, he is a wanderer on the earth. We see from this early example in Genesis that sin ruins relationships. But we can also see that in Abraham's family. I think about when, when, when Jacob stole from Esau. When Jacob stole from Esau, their relationship changed. As a matter of fact, Jacob had to flee from home. 
And they were, they, were, they, were, they were eventually reconciled. But look at how many years that took from their relationship. Look how many years apart they were from one another. See, their sin had a negative effect on their relationship. And I think Joseph and his brothers. When Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery, well, that had an impact on their relationship. So we see from these examples in Genesis that sin has the power to ruin relationships. And that's true today also. Sin has the power to ruin our relationships. It has the power to ruin our relationships with our friends. You know, this is something that you guys might have noticed, and it's something I've noticed also. But I think of people who I grew up here with, friends who I grew up here in this building with, and some of them who've left the Lord. It's interesting when some of my friends who were here who left the Lord, it's interesting that after they left the Lord, the relationship changed. It seemed like they didn't want anything to do with us anymore. And that's just the way it, it, it seems just in general. When people leave the Lord, they don't want anything to do with Christians. They don't want to talk to you anymore. They stop communicating with you. See, sin, sin ruins relationships with friends. It also ruins relationships with families. You know, I think about that article that I mentioned at the early parts of this lesson. Think about the families and how that has the potential to, to just blow up a family and destroy a family because of immorality, because of adultery. Sin has the power to ruin relationships. But just even beyond the physical relationships, even if our sin never ruins a physical relationship while here on earth, Sin does ruin the most important relationship that we have, and that is our relationship with God. Turn over to the uh, book of Isaiah 59. Isaiah chapter 59. We're going to read verse 2. Isaiah 59 and verse 2. Here God is speaking, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. See, sin ruins the most important relationship that we have. It ruins our relationship with God. You know, some people look at this they say, and they say, man, what's the big deal? It's a huge deal. Sin ruins relationships. But that's not all. Sin is progressive. Sin does ruin relationships. But we also see from the book of Genesis that sin leads to death. Go back to Genesis chapter 2. We see this is a fact made explicit by God. In Genesis chapter 2, and starting at verse 16, we sort of see this prohibition that God uh, gives to Adam and Eve regarding this sin. Uh, Genesis chapter 2, starting at verse 16, it says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat from it. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So we see here that sin leads to death, and that through Adam and Eve's sin, death entered the world. That's what Romans 5 said. By one man, sin entered the world, and death through sin. And what we see is really two types of death entered the world when Adam and Eve sinned. We have a physical death that entered the world, but also we have a spiritual death that entered the world. Revelation talks a little bit about this. Revelation talks about a first death or the first death that all people go through, but it also talks about the second death. Let's go over to Revelation. Revelation chapter 20. 
And we're going to read a little bit about this second death. Revelation chapter 20, starting in verse 14. Revelation chapter 20, starting in verse 14, it says, Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So in Revelation, we have this first and second death. First death being the physical death, second death being the spiritual death. And because of sin, both of those deaths entered the world. Both of those deaths became a reality. Now, some people may look back at Genesis 3 and say, Reuben, what's the big deal? They were just eating some food. They were just eating a fruit. Why is that a big deal? Well, that's the reason why it's a big deal. It's because now the entire world is affected by death. You know, if there's anything that we learn from Genesis, is that sin is dangerous. Sin is something that we need to take seriously. But the world is increasingly downplaying sin, and they don't see the eternal consequences that sin has. They don't see the second death that is waiting for those who are not written in the Lamb's book of life. We've got to take sin much more seriously than that. Maybe there's someone here tonight who's been living like the world, haven't been taking sin very seriously. Sin just hasn't been a big deal. Can I encourage you this morning to change your thinking on this, to see sin for what it is, a big deal that separates us from the one person, the one being who can deliver us from that second death. Can I encourage you to see sin for what it truly is? If you want to change you're thinking, we can help you with that this morning. Or maybe there's someone this morning who's just not ready for that second death because you haven't become a child of God yet. Your name hasn't been written in the Lamb's Book of Life. We'd love to help you with that also right now as we stand and as we sing.